last week, everyone, as you probably know, was upset because the episode was too dark. And this week, there's a new thing to be mad at Game of Thrones about. Take a look at this. Most people get bloody murdered. They stay that way. Right there on the table, there is what appears to be, can we zoom in on that, a Starbucks cup. I knew there were a lot of Starbucks. I didn't know they'd expanded to Winterfell. I didn't know there was a, a house macchiato now. And of course, people were very upset about this. A lot of people online said it ruined the episode. It made it seem not real, right? Because the Starbucks cup is what makes the show feel not real. Not the dragons. <laughs> not the zombies made of ice. The coffee cup on the table. The, the whole, speaking of epiphanies, the whole I'm angry online thing. I mean, I don't have five seconds for that anymore. I'm trying to discipline myself. Never click on a headline. You know, comment draws criticism online or Twitter goes crazy over. I've just got to. It's it's a drug and not a good one. So-and-so blasts so-and-so. Never turns out to be right worth looking at right it's like if cocaine made you sad why would you do it it's expensive it's addictive oh and it makes you miserable Ugh. <laughs> hilarious somebody has somebody looked up the dictionary definition of epiphany can you do that what do you got for me sean so the first is uh, kind of a a religious ver- uh definition of it um, observed as a church festival in commemoration of the coming of the first manifestation That's of Christ to the, the Gentiles. Oh, so to the next so we'll go to three, which is usually a sudden manifestation or perception of the essential nature or meaning of something. Mm. I, I would say... Well, that's what I got. That's a, what I had. A realization of great importance. So I have trouble accepting human nature, apparently. Mm. As I've been saying now for several years, for instance, on a, on a, on a different topic, I, I am I, I am blown away that there are as many people that are like Harvey Weinstein as they are. Some mm-hmm. people are not surprised. I'm shocked. I had no idea there were people that there were that many people that are like that. Um, um, for instance, um, politically, my epiphany is this. So I'm I'm listening to a podcast. Just they don't listen to podcasts other than ours. They're bad for you. Ra- radio is really your best entertainment. Live radio. Li- live radio. Yes, is yes. particularly good. Um, but I'm so I'm listening to a podcast yesterday with a, with an author I really like. His name is Stephen Kotkin. He is the world's uh, number biggest, two expert on Proust. He's the number one expert on Stalin that is the, oh. that exists on the planet. And. Um, I've read several of his books, and he's just—he's freaking brilliant. And he's—he's he's one of your Hoover fellows, and I keep hoping we'll run into him there someday, mm. wherever around there. But um, he uh, ha- got access in the last ten, fifteen years to all these papers that had been hidden forever. So there is a lot of new stuff to learn about the Soviet Union and Stalin because mm. they had it all locked up forever. And uh, and, now, and now it's open, and historians can go in there, and you got to be able to read Russian and all that sort of stuff. But so he's done his more thorough job than anybody has done, and looking into Stalin and everything like that. And he said this blew him away. So I, it doesn't make me a uh, a rube or a softy or or dumb, I guess, to uh, who have had the same point of view that he had until he went through all this paperwork. Fair enough. Other things may, but not this. not this particular one, right? He said, contrary to what a lot of people have believed about Stalin and Lenin, what I found out from reading all their papers and communications throughout all those years, going way back to the very, very beginning, is that they were communists. (laughs) 
to tell. They weren't just power-hungry, mad dictators who wanted to be in power. They believed to their souls, to their bones, the communist ideology that it would work. That's why they were doing all those things. They were actually communists. He said that should be shocking to people, and it should put everything in a new light, and it does for me. I actually think it's an epiphany. They believed this. They talked privately the same way they talked publicly, and most people like him, historians, didn't think that was true. Mm. That was just for the masses, this bull S about proletariat and workers' paradise, and we're going to share everything and all this. It was just a pretext for us being in power and getting everything. They believed it to their bones. They had the same conversations in private with each other that they never knew anybody would ever read, that if you murdered all these farmers and took their land, you'd be able to turn it into some sort of paradise where everybody would work together and we'd have plenty for all. Wow. And that should be frightening to everyone. And it is frightening to me. In that, your college professors, your new Green Deal people, whatever, they might actually, they probably do, believe this crap. Mm -hmm. They actually believe it. It's not just... It's not just to motivate the base or to lead dummies around or whatever. They actually think that would work. Yeah. They believe that as much as I believe the opposite, mm-hmm. which is astounding to me. I, I I still can't wrap my head around it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust Kotkin's belief, having read millions of documents, gone through millions of documents. The essential nature is that they were actually communists. They believed that crap and were willing to murder people to accomplish it. That should scare the hell out of you. Because the random, the random, I, uh, I just want to be in power guy. We all get that. That's, uh, you know, you got those in your workplace. <laughs> I mean, right, right. But the sort of African person, continents full of them. Yeah, they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. But the person who actually believes that communism would work and is willing to murder people to 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 get that in place by the millions <laughs> that's scary yeah but yeah, actually is. is a thing well yeah i guess i i guess i kind of was there in front of you although i am surprised to hear that about stalin i'd always assumed that he was more just a king just wanted to be a king he um, actually believed that crap just cuz i had wackadoo uh, communist professors in college and i thought at the time you are out of your mind, but, I've always but assumed, I'll get through this class. <laughs> I've always assumed they didn't know, or they hadn't read the right books, or they, they, they didn't mm. believe the stories or whatever. No, they actually believe this crap, including you know, the guy who was ordering the murders, or watching people starve to death. So that's what you got to remember with a lot of this, this, this crazy stuff that you hear on college campuses or out of, of presidential candidates. Not all of them believe what they're saying. Some of them are phony. Al Sharpton's phony. Right. I mean, some yeah. of these people are completely phony. Yeah. But some of them actually believe it would work. Now, I don't get how that's possible. I can remember. I can, like, picture where I was asking my dad as a little kid, probably like about Sam's age, why don't we just split everything evenly? And my dad explaining to me, well, if you did that, nobody would try very hard. And it made perfectly good sense to me as a small child. Right. And immediately. And immediately. (laughs) Right. Obviously, that's true. And I've never doubted that for one second since. Right. But there are smart people with PhDs who don't believe that. Again, to quote Thomas Sowell, there are some ideas so stupid only an intellectual could believe them. There are real ideologues, there are opportunists, and there are useful idiots, I think, in any ideology. Um, 
But, yeah, that's amazing. Now seems like a great time to read a text that I just got a couple of days ago from a good friend of mine who made a, a very, very good business deal once that made him a lot of money. So he travels a fair amount, and he wrote, So I'm in Hungary and going around talking to people, and we toured the House of Terror. It's the building where the Communist Party was centralized. They had torture and death chambers below the building. The Hungarians cannot believe that any, and I mean any, American would allow U.S. politicians to even discuss socialism as a viable system of government for the U.S. No, those who've lived under it uh, have absolutely no patience for the discussion. None. Well, we're not talking about socialism. We're talking about democratic socialism. You know, there are distinctions. I heard, um, who was it? One of the candidates was talking about, uh, eh, it doesn't matter, um, that we're not talking about socialism where the government controls the means of production and the workers own everything and stuff like that. We're talking, actually, I think, you know what? It was Bill Gates who was talking. He said, we're just talking about, uh, capitalism, free market w- with a really good, solid safety net. And listen, I have patience for that discussion. I understand the urge toward it. What bothers me, though, is, and maybe it's a function of us being so partisan right now, everybody's so fired up, you are stepping you know, out of one thing into another when you go too far down the safety net roll because you power equals control and control equals power. And, and at the same time, money equals power. So money equals control. If you grant the government a greater and greater share of the money, of the power, then you grant the government more and more control over everything that happens. And to make these enormously expensive systems work, you need to take even more and more control. And that's how you end up with a well-meaning system becoming horrifically murderous. Because those who would resist that control, they have to be dealt with. You know, the Uyghurs in China that are being uh, jailed by the millions, maybe a couple, two, three million, nobody knows, jailed and tortured and starved and worked to death and re-educated. Why? What horrific crime have they committed? Here's your answer. They're not going along with the agreement, with the system, with the Communist Party's vision for the society. They're resisting the Communist Party. Just Period. And or, like the whole ridiculous Falun Gong thing. If you practice this old religion and did your yoga in the park, you're 80 years old. The Communist Party wanted you stamped out. Why? Because that was an alternative point of view. And if you're going to grant somebody as much control as you need to, to run a a social a socialist or getting pretty close to socialist system, man, they don't brook consent. Or I'm sorry, dissent, rather. They will not tolerate dissent. I'm telling you, not every slope is slippery, but this one's pretty slick. And history has told us that again and again and again and again. But then every time you get a Venezuela, they say, no, 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 no. It wasn't the system. It wasn't that the slope was slippery. It was that the guy in charge didn't have the right shoes. We got the right shoes now. We're going to try it again. All right. So that's my epiphany. Stalin was a communist. Who knew? What do we got coming up? Coming up, FDR was in a wheelchair. <laughs> Actually, speaking of communists in China, the uh, the tech sector of Merca, uh, incredibly important. We, uh, we're on the air everywhere across the great tech sectors of America. A lot of fans there. They are one of the giant lobbyists of the federal government, and they're in bed with China. 
Okay. To a large extent. That's next on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. Available right now. Via the iHeart app and iTunes. Our two new podcasts. Armstrong and Getty, one more thing. That's our daily after show podcast. And Armstrong and Getty, extra large, featuring our interviews of the most interesting people in the world. Subscribe today via the iHeart app or iTunes. Or wherever podcasts are given away for free. Because we're stupid. The Armstrong and Getty Show. If cocaine made you sad, God, I love you guys. You just made me laugh so hard I threw my head back and clapped my hands. (laughs) The old throw and clap. That's fabulous. That's high praise. We got a bunch of texts from people who said, watch the Chernobyl uh, show on HBO. Is that a miniseries or a documentary? It's five episodes or something like that? Yeah, miniseries. I haven't checked it out yet, though. Yeah, a bunch of people said that's that's really good and and shows you what a government system like that is like. Yeah, I heard an interview with one of the people that's uh, portrayed in it. And yeah, it was chilling. Again, the, uh, the foibles of communism and control and the rest of it. And listen, I just I can't stop talking about this because it means so much to me. There are only two reasons people work to gain personally, get away from home, to gain personally or to avoid punishment. And if you remove the opportunity for people to gain personally or cut, say, by 30, 50, 60, 70 percent what they get from their work and give it to the government instead what always happens is, number one, a huge decline in productivity. It happens every single time. And number two, you get people trying to find their way around it. And so you have enormous black markets and cheating and the rest of it. How does the government end that cheating or discourage it? Through punishment. But so I'm, I was listening to a different podcast about the Great Leap Forward in China under Mao and when they collectivized all the farms. And they were shocked that they were getting less productivity than when everybody was doing it on their own. How could you be shocked by that? I know. I no longer get the uh, return on my own work. I'm sharing it with everybody else. Including no. the lazy, the no-shows. No, I'm not working as hard. How do you not understand that about human nature? Right. Mm. And in theory, right, your your great utopian socialist government will find the lazies and the no-shows and punish them and beat them and put them in jail to make them conform. But it doesn't happen nearly enough. Again, history has shown us that over and over and over again. People just... Don't comply. And and so you get more jailings, more beatings. Then you decide, well, if we kill a few people or that sector over there, they're not conforming at all. So we'll kill all of them or, or those people are, are jabbering about the free market. Probably ought to jail them. It just happens every damn time. You know, it's a, a good point. And then I'll stop talking about this because this is not a college lecture hall. But I uh, got a text from somebody who's a big Kotkin fan. That's a guy who writes these Stalin books. And, um, and they're, they're just fantastic. But anyway. He said, the prevailing theory has been from the liberal left for years that Stalin was an aberration. He was just a bad guy. That's why it went wrong. Mm. So that's part of why you push that agenda. Right. It's the same reason, uh, well, the different story. I won't get on that tangent. But do uh, you push that agenda to say, no, it's not the, the ideology is not the problem. He was an evil megalomaniac. Exactly. Kotkin's going through the, the paperwork and finding out, no, he was a communist. He believed this. Stuff. Mr. Kotkin. Anyway, enough of that. Well, right, right. It's the uh, it's not the horse; it's the rider. We'll just get a different rider, and then the horse will work great. 
I, I'm going to be arguing for a late night joke off later. It's about the royal baby. Oh, I yes. Think that's got, I'm in. I'm in. I think that's got Please, some. No argument needed. <laughs> okay. All right. <clears throat> so I found this really, uh, really revealing. You get your tech sector in the U.S. And who's in that and who's not in that uh, will surprise you in just a moment or two. But the tech sector is one of the very few S&P 500 sectors, which is the only index you should ever pay attention to. With more than 50% of the revenues coming from outside the U.S. Virtually every other sector of our economy mostly makes stuff for America. Sure. Or sells stuff or, or services, etc. The exact number is 58% non-U.S. sales. The I highest of that. any industry group. I did not know that. That makes them a poster child for international trade, uh, in particular with China. So they have the a reason, biggest market. So they have a reason to care more about other countries than the, than, than the United States. Or at least to care more about international trade or to lobby the government to, for instance, not like take it to the wall with China over international trade. Um, and these, these companies are giant lobbyists of the government, too. Interestingly, though, Facebook and Alphabet are not in the tech sector. They haven't even banned in China, so they're not relevant to this anyway. But uh, they're in the communication services sector. So Facebook and Alphabet, the Google company, are not in the tech well, sector. When I hear tech, when I hear the term tech stocks, I think Google and Facebook. But Am- they're neither one of them. No, nope. Amazon okay. isn't in it either. Okay, well then it's I in the ha- consumer discretionary then sector. Put me in the category of people who have no idea what they're talking about <laughs> when they mention tech stocks. Yeah, Apple and Microsoft are in though. Okay. Go fix. But not Amazon Google. What's going on in your news, Marshall? Well, Trump's trade tactics getting support from surprising quarters. We've got big cuts at Boeing and a weird twist in the opioid crisis. Yeah, good stuff. Stay tuned for this next on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. So Tiger Woods got our nation's highest honor from the president yesterday for being a good golfer. Yes. All right. All right. More Very on, brave. More on Gutty. that coming up. Real example for young people. Also on the way, how CNN's Town Hall Industrial Complex <laughs> is shaping the 2020 race. And it's kind of interesting. Uh, we got this text about communism. To end interest in communism, make all school assignments team project based. My overachieving kids hate it. The entire <laughs> class. That's right. Their most liberal teacher made them despise socialism. LOL. <laughs> That's beautiful. The old classroom metaphor. Many people have seen it online or, or heard it. Where you just tell the kids, listen, the average grade of, of all of you is the grade what all, is what all of you will get on this next test. And at first, the, the striving kids keep striving. The average grade is, you know, pretty reasonable. But then the the non-striving kids realize, I can get a B without trying. And the striving kids realize, I can't get an A no matter what I do. And you see their production drop, 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 drop every single time. And who 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 likes that system? The laziest people. The people that are going to accomplish the most, they're the ones that don't like it. Right. So you, you, you weed out that talent from your schoolroom or your country. And I readily concede that the powerful engage in crony capitalism and have fixed the system to a large extent. But your solution sucks. I mean, it's, it's utterly the wrong solution. 
Uh, let's get the news now with Marshall Phillips. Well, China says its economy czar will be at the trade talks in Washington this week, raising hopes that two sides can find a compromise despite President Trump's threat to impose more import taxes on Chinese goods. The announcement is suggesting that President Xi's government is putting its desire to end a conflict that has battered Chinese exporters ahead of the political need to look tough in the face of U.S. pressure. Meanwhile, President Trump getting support for his tough bargaining tactics from a number of quarters, including Democrat Senator Chuck Schumer, who tweeted, Hang tough on China. President, that real Donald Trump, don't back down. Strength is the only way way to win with China. I saw one pundit, uh, a Democratic strategist, saying one thing Trump's really got on his side is he's taken a couple of big Democratic issues off the table. He's got Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden's playbook on trade Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. So they can't beat him up on that. And he's a non-interventionist for the most part. So you can't go with that usual attack on a republic. We probably ought to talk about that and Iran and John Bolton, uh, whether we're going to stay non-interventionist. But, uh, yeah, you're you're right. And listen, I think nearly everybody recognizes that China's been just a bully in trade. And, and the talks have really kind of stalled out. And Trump's trying to jumpstart him again. And they're trying to get all fevered about it on cable TV. But, man, if you got Chuck Schumer and Warren Buffett saying, right. no, no, I get it. Yeah. Um, it's just it's not that big a deal. Warren Buffett, as you mentioned, warning an escalation of the U.S. China, China trade dispute to be bad for the whole world. But playing hardball is sometimes the only way to go. If you're playing the game, you have to solve that way. Uh, I mean, if, if with some people in negotiations, uh, the best technique is to act half crazy. There you go. Well, it's half crazy. So, as Joe said, if Chuck Schumer and Warren Buffett got your back, you're in pretty good shape politically. Anybody who's ever engaged in any long or difficult negotiation knows there will be a period where it's unpleasant and rocky and people are saying right. mean stuff and, and, and threatening to pull out. It's, it's okay. It's inevitable. Boeing is planning on cutting around 900 inspectors and are going to replace them with what the company is calling technological improvements in the midst of being under fire for software flaws in the 737 MAX aircraft. Now, is their goal going to be to not have planes crash? Is that going to be their goal? Yeah, that was a very long sentence. Let's address Jack's concern first and go from there. I do believe they wish to avoid more of a plane crash. But they're, they're, they're going to replace inspectors with what? Technological improvements? Technological improvements. What does that mean? Well, that's what a the better unions... vending machine in the lunchroom? That's what the unions are wondering. Uh, unions representing the inspectors call the change at the Seattle area factories confusing, short-sighted, and the wrong focus for the future. So anyway, Boeing is planning on laying off these inspectors. The uh, unions say it would cause, among other things, an abundance of -of out-of-sequence work, increased costs, and more worker injuries, along with many other unexpected conflicts and compromises. Okay, fine. The unions are looking out for their membership, specifically keeping it as robust as possible. That's what they do. That's fine. But was it the inspectors who weren't inspecting or not reporting what they saw, or was there a cultural problem at Boeing that they were being ignored, or, or what? I'm not sure I get it yet. I mean, it's like the, the, it seems to me like the very early days of the Audi slash Volkswagen thing where it became clear that somebody was doing something funky with the uh, emission software turned out to go all the way to the top or or might as well have. So I wonder, Boeing, I, I have a feeling we'll find out eventually. 
In the midst of the ongoing opioid epidemic, a new report finds more and more doctors are stealing prescriptions. That's incredible. CBS News reporting a new report released by a data company called ProTennis finds that in 2018, more than 47 million doses of legally prescribed opiates or opioids were stolen. That is an increase of 126% from the year before. Rotanus found 34% of those incidents happened at hospitals or medical centers. percent? 34% of the incidents happened at hospitals or medical centers, followed by private practices, long-term care facilities, and pharmacies, and that 67% of the time doctors and nurses were responsible. A number of them trying to feed their growing habits, their own, their own habit. Okay, their own I get growing it. So habits. they're hooked on it. Well, I can see how that. If you're hooked on it, yeah, I can see taking it. I thought they were just looking away to make a little side hustle. You know, is it just me? I'm sorry, I kept getting lost in that story. For the great speaking of uh, revelations and epiphanies, because of the whole percentage thing. Marshall said X percent, right? Of doctors and nurses were responsible for the theft. Oh, I didn't inter- I didn't take in that number. I didn't memorize it because I didn't know if I cared or not. 67%. So if you were to say doctors and nurses were responsible mm-hmm. for the theft 67% of the time, yeah. then I get it. Am I, am I the only one like that? I think you got to give the what it is before the number. All right. But so this I, could make your career, Marshall. You could have a real future in the business. But so we don't think it's mostly doctors and nurses that are just trying to make money on the side, just being despicable human beings. They're hooked on the drugs. No, it appears most many of them are hooked on the drugs. Wow. Probably trying to make a side hustle, as you said. Well, yeah, if it's tens of millions of doses, yeah. I mean, it's probably plenty of each. 47 million doses. Ooh. And then, so did, is it happening like as a doctor, you think, eh, I'm a little down today. <laughs> I think I'll try one of these. What will this do for me? I don't know, I'm making my rounds. My knee hurts a little bit. Why don't I, why don't I take one of these? Maybe two would be better. There's also a little bit of the hubris of, I, I'm not going to get hooked on this. I'm a doctor. I know what I'm doing. Is it just like the way I am when there's uh, uh, brownies in the house? I can't, I can't not feeling. eat them. Yeah, exactly. So if I'm a doctor and there's uh, barbiturates everywhere, whatever they are, mm. <laughs> Oxycontin everywhere, eh, I grab one every time I walk by the desk. I just pop a couple in my mouth. Hey, Doc, word to the wise, the constipation is awful. All right? If you're going to get hooked on Oxy, start eating prunes. And I mean a lot of them. Drinking a, prune juice. A little heads up for Joe. Lettuce, on, cabbage. On Joe's tips on how to be an Oxy addict. You can't take in enough roughage if you're on the, the opioids. There you go. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. It's like the Hoover Dam up in there. Joe is going to explain why a golfer got our nation's highest honor yesterday from the President of the United States. And why it's a wonderful thing. I think Trump just kind of in love with Tiger because he's a golfer. Well, that may be, too. And the (laughs) CNN Town Hall Industrial Complex, and now it's shaping the 2020 election. Should I be concerned? Is this overwrought or not? Stay tuned. Wait, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you trying to whip up, like, concern and fear over a fake issue with a fancy name? I hold you in contempt, sir! Oh, man, I'm held in contempt again. I hold you in contempt of the Armstrong and Getty Show. Damn it. Wow. The Armstrong and Getty Show. 
you've seen the good and the bad, the highs and the lows, and I would not be in this position without all of your help. That's Tiger Woods from yesterday when the President of the United States, who is, fun fact, Donald Trump. Yeah, Donald Trump is the president. Hey, and Tiger, question, what's the closest ocean to where you are right now? <laughs> Indian. So uh, Donald Trump gave Tiger Woods the Medal of Freedom, gave a long speech, and just, that's a really big deal, I think, the Medal of Freedom. Why are we giving it to golfers? Well, uh, Jack, uh, interestingly enough, we received a, um, I wish this was chronological, um, we received an email from uh, Alert and, and frequent correspondent Jared, uh, whose point is that how the F does Tiger Woods fit the criteria for the... That's enough swearing, Jared. Um, uh, the, Trump has demonstrated his buffoonery many times, but this is the worst. Uh, here are the criteria from the 1963 executive order signed by JFK. Section 2, award of the medal. A, the medal may be awarded by the president as provided in this order to any person who has made an especially meritorious contribution to, one, the security or national interest. My own interest. personal entertainment. Mm. One, <laughs> the security or national interests of the United States. No, no. Definitely not that. Two, world peace. Okay. Not so much. Maybe a little bit, but not very much. Three, cultural or other significant public or private endeavors. Anybody so, who's real good at anything. Well, so Trump, I think, tried to justify it. I saw some of his speech with the Tiger being the first black or Asian person to win right. something or other. So, right? Okay. Listen, you're an anti-Trumpist, clearly. Or you are just ignorant. I'm anti-awards you, for the most part. Well, that's difficult to argue with. Um, Anti-celebrity awards. Yeah, yeah. But again... Back to my scathing indictment of your ignorance and mine to like three <laughs> minutes ago. Um, four architects have won the award. Uh, this appears to be for uh, ten artists have won the award. Six dancers have won the award. Okay, well, if you're going to give it to a dancer, you can give it to Tiger Woods. More actors my argument- and actresses have won the awards than I feel like counting right now. It looks to be 30-ish. My argument would be to have not given it to them either, rather than give it to Tiger Woods. Looks to be 20 writers. Looks to be 50 musicians. 50 musicians. Three photographers. Can, do you have any names? Can you hit me with any names? Sure, yeah. Um... Uh, this appears to be... I'll go backward chronologically. Elvis Presley, Bruce Springsteen, Diana Ross, James Taylor, Barbara Streisand, Stephen Sondheim, Itzhak Perlman, Gloria Estefan, Emilio Estefan, Stevie Gloria Wonder. Gloria Estefan got the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Yeah, and I could go what? on. And Gloria, who? when was that? 2015, Barack Obama gave Gloria Stefan the medal. You didn't hear the mainstream media bitching about that. Three photographers appears to be 40 to 50 business people. Uh, well, as if, five did the people photographer, from computers. Did the photographer risk their life in Iraq to get photos of Fallujah? Or they just take you know good shots of celebrities walking the red carpet? Well, Ansel Adams got it. You know, nice landscape stuff. Uh, and two in 1963, year number one under Kennedy. So you got like 40, 50 business right. people, five people from computers, it appears to be this 20 people the, from education. This isn't important on any level, but it just kind of waters it down. Yeah, I know, but Tiger's as worthy as any 175 of these people. Well, he is. I just, he's, yeah. you know, the most dominant guy in his sport of all time, and he's a okay. black guy, I I'd guess. I'd be against all of those then. 
Wow, look at all the journalists. I said writers before. They're like authors. Two radio guys. What? Wait, there's hope. Lowell Thomas under Gerald Ford. I'm afraid I don't know his work or I've forgotten. And and Paul Harvey. Good day. Lowell Thomas I was into for a while. 20 TV actors is differentiated from movie actors. Medicine, military, philanthropy, philosophy, politics, and government. It's like 70 of those. Diplomacy, (laughs) environmentalism, intelligence services, foreign statesmen, U.S. cabinet members, first ladies, members of Congress, presidents, vice presidents, other political figures, religious leaders, scientists, space explorers, athletes. There's 50, 60 of those. So they give this thing out like candy. This is just people the president likes. Yeah, so quit hating on freaking Tiger and Donald Trump. I thought when you said two radio guys, it was going to be like a morning show, like Jimmy uh, Jimmy and the Chimp. Oh, well, they were hilarious. Oh, they used I to do you, those prank calls. Oh, the Chimp, so we go out on the street and ask people questions. <laughs> so we gave them the medal. Right. I loved those crank calls. Uh, <laughs> Song parodies, they were the best. <laughs> All right. They do these contests. Um, I don't know how much of this you want. I just thought it was kind of an interesting headline. This is from 538, which is a heck of an interesting website. They do a lot First of interesting stuff. First athlete to get the award. Robert J.H. Kiphuth, who's a swimmer. Hmm. His name, of course, a household name. Um, How CNN's town hall industrial complex is shaping the 2020 race. Now, I have never read the book. I should have by now, The Image. It came out in 1961 by a guy named Daniel Borstein. It's one of the uh, landmark books about campaigning. What is this, the olden days? That people reference all the time and how modern campaigning had, had changed things. But anyway, um, he noticed a rise in news events that weren't really news events. This is way back in the 50s. Wow, perceptive. 60s. Yeah. And... Uh, Rather than organic happenings like protests or confrontations, these pseudo-events were the creations of public public relations professionals, artificial inflection points designed to help public figures get their messages out. As a political journalist, I've realized an unfortunate stomach-dropping thing. An awful lot of what we cover is pseudo-events, political conventions, speeches, Candidates buying donuts in New Hampshire in front of 15 television cameras and five confused bystanders. It's all manufactured. And CNN has really taken the lead on this with their pseudo-events for the 2020 cycle, these town hall things, where they get a candidate in in front of a friendly crowd who asks softball questions, and they treat it like a news event and then have a whole bunch of people discuss it afterwards. Mm. Um, Now... I think I do think that little comes out of these things. On the other hand, what what's the alternative? What's, what what's, what would a real event be, or would we just have a lot less coverage? That was my question. Uh, that is what politics is: is politicians holding events mostly. And I I like the town hall format. I think it's a decent form like for it. exchanging ideas. I like it better than the debates. The debates are idiot. They're indefensible. Definitely a pseudo event. Oh. They're 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 you they're they're close to useless. Yeah. If you've never heard our screed before, maybe it's worth repeating. That guy gets ninety seconds to talk about trade with China. Then you go to her for ninety seconds on trade subsidies. Then he gets ninety seconds on. Should we go to Mars? And then and you're the supposed end, to pick between them. And then they, at the end, they discuss who won. Right. And do a poll. Who do you think won? Who Who, who is served by that? Who won it what? May, <laughs> it may be the worst thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's... God. 
and yet it endures. That is, you know, we're talking a lot about human nature today for some reason, but the 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 desire to hold on to something just because it's been done several times. You know, I'm I'm a bit of a traditionalist in a lot of things. I understand the value of you it. You want to bring back front porch campaigns? Yes, absolutely. That's where they used to do it in the early, like, 1900s, and late 1800s. Whistle you, stops on trains. The front porch campaigns is you would literally sit on your front porch, and if people came by, they might ask you questions, and you would shout them at people. Right. But you didn't campaign. Love it. You just sat on your front porch. Yeah. But even, you know, understanding that if things have endured the test of time, it's probably for a pretty good reason. These multi-candidate debates... No, they're a creation of the late 20th century. They were a bad idea. They don't should accomplish be anything. No, they serve no one. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I get the whole, these are artificial, like they're created. I don't know what the alternative is, though. I don't quite grasp that. You know, bunches of these long formish town halls, interview shows, and then, you know, the numbers will start to winnow the field. Once you get a, a smallish group, maybe half a dozen then then you go ahead and have the debate thing, but ask them all the same dang question. Have them go down the line, start at that end, then start at that end, then start in the middle, and just exchange ideas. We learned a long time ago in this job, Joe and I did, that uh, you can't ask people why you don't care about something. If people don't care about something, they just right. they just don't care. Mm-hmm. And they don't care to talk about why they don't care. Right. But I don't think many people care about the presidential election at this point. And I think that's why there's not a lot of movement in the polls and stuff like that. It's just there aren't that many people paying attention. I think you'd be a nut if you did. Yeah, you would be a weird, weird person. Don't be weird. 546 days to go. Keep that in mind. Ooh, crunch time. <laughs> you are listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. <laughs> 